You're listening to the Grieving Mamas Club podcast, a space for moms who are on the wild ride of motherhood while navigating their grief journey. Here are your hosts. I'm Rashida, a motherless mom of a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Yep, that is two under four. And I'm Kara, a motherless mom with a three-year-old, an angel baby, and one on the way. Let's dig in. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 28 of the Grieving Mamas Club podcast. Kara and I are really pumped for this episode because we are bringing yet another awesome guest. I know 2020 has been the year, or 2022, Lord, (laughs) who knows, like, (laughs) still feels like it. Really? It still feels like it. I know. I, I still, I'm actually, side note, I've been having trouble writing 2022 still. Like, I keep wanting to write 2002. I want to go to 23. Like I'm writing three for whatever reason. So I need to move on. I usually start doing that with the next year, a couple months yeah. early too. I don't know why. Yes. <laughs> I Yes. So it has been the Karen Rashida show for most of 2022. But if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we had a wonderful guest on who talked about losing a sibling by suicide. So as a wonderful follow-up to that, our guest today is going to talk about grief twofold what it means to be a mom who is grieving the loss of a child, but also what it means to be the sibling of that child, right? So it's 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 an interesting conversation. Her and I had a lovely pre-conversation, and I think she's going to really have some insightful things to say for our listeners here. So before we introduce her, I do want to read her kick-ass bio so you guys know who we're working with today. <laughs> Michelle Bigno is a certified grief recovery specialist early childhood educator and parent coach, and the founder of Good Grief Parenting. After her six-year-old son died of cancer, her three-year-old daughter said, Mommy, half of me is gone. This heartbreaking statement defined Michelle's life purpose. Her mission is twofold, to help parents through the unimaginable challenges of parenting while grieving the death of a child, and to equip parents to meet the unique needs of a child who has lost a sibling in early childhood years. The desire of Michelle's heart is to see families live forward after loss toward a future bright with possibilities and even joy. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank yeah. you. I'm really happy to be here with both of you. Thanks for the invitation. Yes, yes. And I have to say, as I was reading your bio, a couple things stood out to me that I really, really like. So Kara and I like to talk about, you know, finding the joy after the grief journey mm-hmm. or during the grief journey, because really it's a lifelong journey. Mm-hmm. I love that you said it's your heart's goal to your heart's desire to see families live forward after loss. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially the the loss that you experienced, the loss, the unimaginable loss of a, of a child to cancer. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yes. And live forward is a really intentional word choice for me because, you know, my, my daughter was three and a half. My son was six. You know, our family was just starting. And I should say this was 22 years ago. So my daughter is now grown. But at that time, you know, 
we had our whole life. She had her whole lifetime ahead of her. Our family mm-hmm. was young. Our dreams had been just obliterated, but we still had a future to live. And it was non-negotiable for me that we were going to live it and not just limp through it or be stuck in the loss or somehow not know how to make our way forward. And so, and I was an early childhood parent educator at the time. That was a career that I went back to school, got my master's in family education when I became a parent when I had my son, because I just loved being a parent so much. And I was an educator at heart. And so I got that degree and was doing that work in early childhood, never dreaming that I was going to have this loss of dreams and be traveling this journey in a way that none of us ever anticipate. And so I really did come at it from the very beginning from that perspective of here's this child of mine that needs to live and needs to have a good life. And so that was my approach from the beginning. But I didn't, I didn't really found good grief parenting until she was grown until she was in college, actually, because I learned in walking this journey with her as a bereaved sibling that it is you know it's it's a a journey that that nobody who knows her understands or even recognizes that mm-hmm. anyone who is a sibling of someone who's died will tell you no matter what age they are that they're the overlooked mourners you know the for the parent it's the worst possible loss and everyone thinks about the parent and people don't think about the sibling well when they're early childhood age they especially don't think about the child because there's so much about that age group that we really underestimate like you know how they experience their world and how capable they are of experiencing their world and she didn't leave me guessing through the whole the two and a half years that we went through that journey from the very first night that her brother was in the hospital until she said those words to me. She didn't leave any doubt that she was experiencing this as deeply as the rest of us. So she was my little case study. And I needed to just build. I knew when I started um, my journey of having to figure out what we were going to do as a family and especially what I was going to do to make sure that she grew grew up whole and happy, not with half of her gone. That wasn't okay. I knew that whatever I figured out, I was going to have to share because I didn't find any resources when I went looking and I had to figure it out on my own. So that's why Good Grief Parenting exists today. Well, gosh, Michelle, yeah, that is so, that's so difficult you know, to not have anywhere or anything to turn to, you know, the Mm -hmm. internet really wasn't even around, No, (laughs) you know, and it just wasn't, the grief wasn't talked about like it is now, you know, Mm -hmm. Rashida and I talk about this all the time about comparing our griefs in the way that like when her mom passed and when my mom passed, like when my mom passed, first thing, you know, you do is you turn to social media and like you post the news and then people start flooding in and like saying like, you know, I remember someone being like, Kara, what you're going through is grief. And I'm like, duh. And they're like, no, Google it. And so that's when I like started, I saw like the stages of grief and I was started, was able to start like picking out like bits and pieces and, and it started resonating. And I was able to really take it and be like, 
label it. And so that really helped. But my goodness, mm-hmm. to do this, to lose your child and then still mm-hmm. have another child to navigate, mm-hmm. I just, yeah. it's unfathomable, truly. Well, and I did not have any grief experiences prior to that. So I was really in the mode of, I have to do this right, especially because I had her, I have to do this right. Mm-hmm. And I, and I thought there was a right way to do it. And people told me about the stages of grief. And I thought, I'm not, I'm not doing those. That's, that's not my experience. And so I felt like I was doing it wrong. And I, you know, I thought there was something wrong with me. And I have since learned that the stages of grief are not stages of grief at all. Elizabeth Kubler Ross didn't intend for those to be the stages that a griever goes through. Those are the stages that a person can be expected to go through who gets their own terminal diagnosis, Mm -hmm. which makes so much more sense to me. And Mm -hmm. so I, you know, it really was detrimental to me to to feel like I had to somehow do this a particular way and that way. So Mm -hmm. part of what I've learned over the years is, you know, some of the things that were most helpful to me was for me to just learn that whatever I felt and whatever I needed to do was my grief journey. And it was Mm -hmm. okay. There wasn't one way to do it. I wasn't going to do it the same as everyone else. People who gave me advice did not know better than I did. I knew my own journey better than anybody, and I could just be okay with what I was experiencing, knowing that it that it was my grief and that my goal was to get to a better place but there's no time frame for doing that. Mm-hmm. There's no particular route for doing that. And we don't have to listen to other people telling us what they think we should be doing. We can be empowered to say, you know, this is what I need to do right now. Thank you, but I don't need your input. So those things were really empowering for me. That was mm-hmm. kind of the first thing that I needed to come to terms with. And then I needed to figure out how to make this a life experience for my daughter and me that didn't keep us in a dark place, but where we could experience a a happy future. Yeah. Yeah. We say a lot on this show that grief isn't linear. We did an episode, one of our very first episodes Mm -hmm. actually was debating the five stages of grief versus the seven or eight stages of grief. So we found another model that I believe was seven stages, right? It's nine is also in my head. It was seven stages. And instead of the original five stages, ends in acceptance. Mm -hmm. And this newer model ends in hope and looking forward. Mm. And that felt like a better spot for me and it, or Mm -hmm. to me, like, so it's, yeah, as a person who I lost my mom, shoot, coming on 17 17. years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Mm -hmm. Sunday, Sunday. Yeah. 17 years on Sunday. And I, when I was just, my little cousin got married this weekend, this past weekend, and there are six grandchildren in my family, or mm. I'm one of six grandchildren. And my mom, though, was very, 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 very close to like all of us. So like we all kind of grew up as like basically siblings. Mm-hmm. And so this little cousin of mine is a couple years younger than me, but he is only the second grandchild to get married. So and I was the first. And so like, I hadn't been at a wedding where I would have missed my mom, like since my own, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting here at the wedding. My kids are going bonkers. I am listening to 
my cousin say these vows to his now wife and I'm crying. I look over my aunt's crying, his mom, my other aunt is crying. My little cousins are crying. And like, none of us discussed why like nobody, nobody had brought up my mom or anything mm-hmm. yet. And then we were at the reception and we all look at each other and we're like, she should have been here. Like, mm-hmm. this is, this is why we're, this is a beautiful day, but like she should have been here. And I had right. like, several moments like that throughout the Mm -hmm. wedding, which just proves to me over and over and over again, that grief isn't linear. Like you're you're not, my feelings were my feelings and they were valid. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got to be sad that my mom was missing yet another Mm -hmm. like big event. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's when you said like, you get to feel we always say, feel your feels. You said, you said it a little more eloquently than us. I don't know how I said it. Feel your feels uh, sounds good to me. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you get to, you get to own your journey. Yes. And how you feel is valid. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the other thing that you're bringing up is just that idea of no matter how far along we are, mm-hmm. there are going to always be triggers because this person is missing in our lives. Mm-hmm. And I call, you know, I have what I call temper tantrum moments where I just really want my daughter to have her brother, you know, that that has been the hardest thing for me. It's hard enough for me to have lost my son, but for her to have not had her brother is the thing that I just cannot get any acceptance, for lack of a better word, with. And so I have my temper tantrum moments. And the other thing that I, you know, want to be sure families know when I work with them, because I focus on this early childhood sibling loss and how just total significant it is, even for a young child, because of the significance of those early childhood years when their identity is forming Mm -hmm. and, you know, her identity, I mean, half of her truly was gone when her brother died that, you know, he'd been there her whole life. And what I witnessed over the last, you know, 22 years is all of these different points in her life where his loss was particularly significant. And that's what you experienced with the wedding. You know, Mm -hmm. that was a time where your mom should be there. And for young children, and you were you remind me, Rashida, were you in your teens when your mom died? Yes, I was 15. Yes, that's what I was remembering. And so, you know, you you have a lot of growing to do. My daughter was three and a half. She didn't even understand very well the concept of death. And so she was going to be re-experiencing this loss in many different ways very deeply again throughout her growing up. And that's very different than us as adults. For me, as my son's mom, he died and I experienced that loss. And that loss was what it was always going to be. For my daughter, it was going to be different things Mm -hmm. as she grew up and as she learned more about what it meant and the significance in her life. And so that's one of the things that I think people don't recognize about siblings in in this case, but even children, you know, who've lost a parent. But, you know, since we're talking about siblings, and that's what I focus on, the significance of her journey as a sibling who grew up without her sibling, 
Mm-hmm. I, I've coined a term for these children. I call them siblings by heart because she's still a sibling. But mm-hmm. nobody sees another child beside her. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when his classmates were graduating from college, she drew a picture of him. He died in kindergarten mm-hmm. and she drew a picture of him in a cap and gown. She made him the valedictorian. He was wearing a valedictorian sash. Yes, Ash. I was going to say shawl. I don't know. It's not shawl. Um, yeah. So, and some of his friends too, you know, had memorials to him at their graduation parties. So, you know, young children carry these losses forward. And in the case of a sibling where it's an, such an identity piece, they're going to rework that identity and re-explore it throughout the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. And so that's different than the way we as the parent or the adult might experience that same loss. You know, it's interesting because our last guest who lost her brother said that whenever somebody asked her, she's so she was her brother was older. Was that what you're getting ready to say to you? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> we, we're we on the same wavelength uh-huh. all the time. <laughs> um, and so she was six. She her brother was older and she was then the second kid. And then she has siblings younger than that. And so when someone asked her if she has siblings, which is a totally benign question, mm-hmm. right? Like just mm-hmm. to be like, hey, you got any brothers or sisters? And it just depending on how she feels is how she that day is how she answers. Like sometimes right. she's the oldest. Sometimes mm-hmm. she just says, yeah, my brother died by suicide. Like, mm-hmm. so it's, mm-hmm. it's, I don't, I guess you never realize, or I don't realize until I've been having all these conversations with you, Michelle, is that like being a sibling truly is an identity. It, <laughs> like, it really it, is. It, yes. Yeah. Yes. When you said that your three-year-old said the other half of her was missing, mm-hmm. it broke my heart because mm-hmm. my my kids are that close. Like yes. I, I can see, I can see like Parker is my baby girl. She's two and Dom is four. And I can just see them, either one of them having a really hard time moving through this life without the other. Like it yes. is, it's crazy to me how like I look at them and I'm like, your souls belonged together. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. these, you two, you two are siblings. And like, I can't imagine having to help one of them through a loss parallel to my own mm-hmm. <laughs> parallel especially, to me being like, I lost a kid. Yeah. Yes. Right. And especially yes. as, as a, as her losing her older brother. You mm-hmm. know, as especially when you're so young, you look up to them and oh. they are your life and they're, they can do, I mean, they, uh, yeah, there's, they can do no wrong that, you know, yes. to lose they, that. They were a mutual, they just mutually adored each other. You know, he was her big brother and she was his little sister and he would take anything from her and she would you know, take anything from him. And the other thing that made it really very hard was that we live, we still do live next door to a family of four children, my children's ages. And so for the rest of her life, she had to watch these four siblings grow up together. And, you know, the five of them would be out playing and those kids would decide to go home. And, you know, I always wished they'd invite her over, but they didn't, you know, they'd go home and she'd come home alone and it was just heartbreaking. And yeah, when she went off to college, I remember the first meet and greet we were in with other students and parents and they asked, someone asked, 
her if she had any brothers and sisters and someone asked Mm -hmm. me if I had other children and it was just you know we had lived with this reality for 15 years 16 years and then it was just kind of hit both of us like oh we've got to answer that question again because people Mm -hmm. don't know us and it is it's such a simple thing and such a natural thing, but a hard thing to answer. And for most of us who are bereaved parents, denying that child is just, you know, not acceptable. So then it's how do you say it? Because you know, it's going to be a downer when you tell people and right. then there's, you carry all of that with you. And the same thing, you know, the sibling is a, what a downer to tell someone, you know, who's getting to know you that your brother died when you were three. So it almost feels inappropriate. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that's a shame to say mm-hmm. or to feel that mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like inappropriate in the way that like, oh, you've gone too deep or you've you've ex- mm-hmm. you've said too much. And like mm-hmm. just to mm-hmm. someone who is just, you know, just kind of like mm-hmm. making small talk in a way, you know. Yes. Yes. That's yeah. what they yeah. think they're True. doing. And then all of a sudden you go to that place. But yeah. I I have learned to say it. And sometimes I say uh, my son's in the balcony. And I kind of, you know, let them figure out what that means. And some of Mm -hmm. them do and some of them, you know, don't. And then I go on with some other question, you know, Mm -hmm. and just don't let that get its hooks into anybody because I don't want it to be that downer. But I will not deny that I have two children. You know, yeah. As, and you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Mm-hmm. I right. I actually take the opposite approach, and I feel like I just come out of the gate with, "Well, I lost my mom when I was fifteen. Like, Kara, I, don't you feel like you knew that about me? Like, as as easy as you knew my name. Yeah, you feel like you've mm-hmm. always kind of known that about. Like, I always like it is. I have long accepted that that's part of my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and and since becoming a mom, I have. Not, I wouldn't say long accepted, but I have come to grips with, right? That my, my identity is a motherless mom. And, and that, that manifests itself in a myriad of different ways. And so mm-hmm. instead of like, I guess it's like I get to control the narrative. So instead of like being caught off guard, like instead of like us just having a conversation, like the Mother's Day incident. <laughs> of 2017, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where a cafeteria worker where I worked asked me what I was doing for Mother's Day. <laughs> he was laughing because it was like, it was a benign question. Like, yes. people don't mean harm. But he asked me what I was doing for Mother's Day. I lied and said I was taking my mother to brunch, which was like a, a white lie. I was taking my mother-in-law to brunch, but was it my mom? And then I just lost it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I like, lost my ever-loving shit because I was mm-hmm. like, I just lied. <laughs> Yes, yes, it's horrible. It's horrible. But yeah. it isn't it isn't our fault. It is the way that society regards it all. And you know, when I work with families, that's why I really tell them you have permission to tell people this is what we're doing and this is how we're remembering our child or this is how we're grieving and thank mm-hmm. you for your input, but we've got this, you know, mm-hmm. or what you're saying right now really isn't helpful. I went on to teach classes after my son died and I would be with other parents who had kids and they would say, Michelle, how can we even talk about toilet training when your child died? And I'd say, it's because we have these 
children that we're, you know, teaching all of these things to that, that it's, it's so important to be here. And, you know, that it isn't either or, I mean, everything Mm -hmm. that we go through with our children at that young age is so important, you know, and the fact that Mm -hmm. I had a child who died isn't, isn't somehow doesn't somehow supersede what we go through with our children. But Mm -hmm. I would tell them, you know, yes, sometimes I will get a little bit teary, but don't worry about me. This, Mm -hmm. you know, I, that's just what my life is going to be now. I mean, that we get, you know, we get triggered by when the idea of your mom can be triggering for you. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about those things that, you know, that, that will just be for us and me being triggered in my class, you know, we're just, these Mm -hmm. are just parts of, of the rest of our lives is that these losses are going to trigger us at times. And grievers often feel like they need to hide that, like they shouldn't Mm -hmm. put it on other people or expose other people to it. And I, I just really want the people, the families that I work with to realize that, you don't have to live your life in accordance with what's comfortable for other people. I mean, you're not trying to make anyone uncomfortable. This is your experience. Mm-hmm. And it's okay for you to have these times where your loss trig- triggers you and you for you to have to worry about how you're impacting someone else with your reaction is just kind of an extra burden for the griever that that they're not responsible for. That's the way I look at it. (laughs) Yeah. No, that totally. It completely hits, you know, it, it, it is grief is like such a a taboo thing to talk mm -hmm. about, which is why we are doing what we're doing. What people don't understand or what a lot of people don't understand who maybe are, who aren't on a on their own grief journey is that when we are reposting things on Instagram and when we're talking about it a lot and like, it sounds like I, this is just me. I don't really know if this is how people really think or feel, but I feel like people might get the sense of like, God, she's always like posting these quotes or Mm -hmm. like always Mm -hmm. saying this or like always talking about that or like how she wishes that or, you know, but it's like, why not? Why would it's, it's again, it's, it's taboo and we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable because why would we, we want to make people happy. No one wants to be sad, but the reality of life Mm -hmm. is that being sad is the reality of life. You know, (laughs) like you're okay. It's okay to have emotions. And at some point, especially with the pandemic, I feel like in the initial stages of the, when everything was shut down, we were all collectively grieving as a whole. So the whole world was on this grief journey and no one knew what to do. I mean, we just started making up dance moves and making bread (laughs) and like going back to, you know, Mm -hmm. basics kind of, and like how we just want to hug people. And like, when Mm -hmm. I think back on it, those are all things that you kind of do. You you just want to hug your people that you've lost. You just want to eat comfort food. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm kind of drawing some pair stretching there. It's a stretch there, the parallels that I'm drawing. But well, I I think it just points out that people are uncomfortable with grief. And what I Mm -hmm. felt when everyone, you know, everyone said that we were all experiencing grief because of the pandemic. And some of us who have been experiencing grief outside of that are kind of feeling like, well, it's about time. Two two things. Yes, that's exactly. Welcome to the club. Yeah. I was like, that's grief. What yeah. you are feeling is grief. Yeah. And on the other hand, 
it's a very different grief, mm-hmm. you know? So on the one hand, it's like, well, it's about time, you know, you guys get to feel what grief feels like. And mm-hmm. on the other hand, the grief is very different. Totally. Yeah. And so I, uh, you know, sometimes it, it felt like it sort of hijacked other people's grief. Um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. your grief, my grief, the people who lost people to COVID experienced yeah. a very different grief than the people who just lost their lifestyle. And yes, we can grieve our lifestyle. We can mm-hmm. grieve the loss of connection totally. with living people. We can grieve all of that. It certainly is grief. And I think the, the things that are the hardest are when not everyone is going through the same thing when someone has lost a loved one or someone has had a devastating diagnosis or somebody Mm -hmm. has lost their dream job or, you know, their home or whatever it is that happened just to them. And those are the times when we need to just really be aware, you know, remember what you felt like when you lost things during the pandemic? Well, this person now feels that about this loss in their life. And Mm -hmm. if there's something we can learn from that, it would be great. But we still so often want to make things look better again. One of the things you were saying, Rashida, or or something you said earlier, just reminded me of something that I really would love to share with adults about young children. And that is when children are feeling grief, just like with adults. With adults, we don't want to hear about their grief. It makes us uncomfortable. We don't know Mm -hmm. what to say. With Mm -hmm. children, it's the same thing. But with children, we try to make them feel better. We say, oh, mm. come on, let's go, let's go to your favorite playground or let's go do this or let's make some of your favorite cookies. And that is not what kids need for us to do. Children need for us also to say, oh, you know, your, your brother died. When do you miss him the most? Um, mm-hmm. you know, what is it that you miss the most about David? I'm, I'm so sorry that is, it's so, so sad to be without mm-hmm. him, so hard to be playing and not have him to play with. Just really acknowledging what they're feeling without trying to distract them, without trying to make them feel better, which mm-hmm. is one of the things that we as adults just instinctively do with children. We don't want them to hurt about this. So mm-hmm. we try to make them feel better instead of telling them, yes, you feel you have all of these feelings, this this hurt, this loneliness, this fear mm-hmm. that, you know, this confusion because you don't really understand what happened. You, you know, you're missing them. You don't know if they're able to come back. You just feel this feeling that feels bad. You don't know, understand what it is. That's what's going on inside of them. And they need for us to say, this doesn't feel very good, does it? Mm-hmm. And help them understand you won't always feel this way right now. This feels horrible. We just miss David so much and we can't imagine ever being happy again, but we will be and Mm -hmm. we will figure out how to, you know, be happy again, enjoy life again. And we will get past this. We will get through this together. Kids need to hear those messages from adults too. You're kind of guiding them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're guiding God, them yeah. to to feel their feels. You're you know kids don't yes. have, especially which is going to lead to emotionally intelligent children. Right? Yes, like, and yeah. resilience. You know, resilience yep. is about 
something happening that's bad and you getting past it, you being able to, you know, enjoy life and find a solution or feel better. Kids can learn ways to help themselves feel better. They can learn about, you know, breathing and visualizing things that make them feel better or just asking for a hug, asking their parent to sit and hold them, asking for what they need. All of these things are self-care things that we can teach children to empower them when they have these feelings because Otherwise, they grow up like you and I did. I mean, like I did, not having any experience of grief and then getting to be an adult and having this horrendous loss Mm -hmm. and saying, okay, now what do I do? I didn't know what to do. My daughter knows what to do. You know, I I wish she hadn't learned that lesson at three and a half, but she has learned what to do. And she knows She knows how to recognize what another person might need. She knows how to be a caring person in society who doesn't turn away and avoid someone else's grief because she's Mm -hmm. dealt with her herself. This is what we're equipping kids to do and to really change the world, you know, to literally change the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no. And I was, I was thinking when you were like, it's, it's in our adult nature to try to make the kid feel better. Like that's Mm -hmm. actually just in our nature anyways. Right. Like, exactly. Like there is a quote, I'm sure we've posted somewhere on our Instagram. That's just like, you can ask me about my person. Like you can ask me about the person that I've lost. Like we, as a society, just try so hard to like, put a band-aid on it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like there are some wounds a band-aid isn't going to fix. Mm-hmm. Right. And talking about our loved one and saying their name mm-hmm. is one of the most healing things that you can do. And that's another thing that it took us a while to learn because Freud, who was one of the early pioneers in grief, defined grieving as the journey to get past the relationship and put closure on the relationship and leave that person that you'd lost behind. Mm -hmm. And that's not really healthy healing. Mm -hmm. Grievers instinctively know that they want to remember their loved one. They want to find ways to carry them forward. And so now we do have that continuing bonds theory of grief that says that that's so healing. And so with a three and a half year old that lost her brother, you know, we had, we found ways to remember him and Mm -hmm. we still get a French silk pie on his birthday every year because when he was dying, when he was having his awful cancer treatments, that was one of the few things he could eat and he loved French silk pie. And so now that's what we get to celebrate his birthday. And that's a healing thing and keeping Mm -hmm. our loved ones mementos and speaking their names. And you know, the best thing a person can do for you is tell you a wonderful story about your mom. Oh, yeah. They remember about Mm -hmm. her. You know, that is a gift to you. And so, yeah, that you're absolutely right about that. Tell, tell me, talk to me about my people, my person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, they, you know, just because they're not physically here, they still do exist. You know, mm-hmm. if, if for nothing in my mind, exactly. Yeah. Michelle, I have a question for you. So, you know, you, you said that your son had cancer for about two and a half years at that whole mm-hmm. process. Yeah. So 
can you walk us through like the diagnosis and at like what point, like the diagnosis, like your the journey and at like mm-hmm. what point did you decide that like, hey, I can't be sad about this for my daughter for my daughter's sake and for my sake. At what point did you decide to actually start that living forward? Did you give yourself time to grieve or were you immediately just like, all right, I'm this is what I'm doing? Well, you know, he was he was sick for two and a half years. My daughter was 15 months old when he was diagnosed. And just prior to that, I had my son and my big brother and my little sister. And I had started, I just started being a parent educator. I got my degree, my master's degree and my license in July. And my daughter was born in September. And then I took one year and the following August when she was 15 or the, you know, the following year, I started my first job. And then my son was diagnosed in December when she was 15 months old. Mm -hmm. So all of this perfection in my life was just Mm -hmm. starting. And then, you know, I mean, nobody wants, I had not experienced cancer in my family family in my life. So for my son to get it, and as a pregnant mom, I ate healthy. I did everything. Yeah. Yes. You know, know, yes, yes. I know I didn't drink soda. I don't do drugs. I like don't do any, I barely, Mm -hmm. you know, don't whatever. Yeah. And then I take my vitamins, I do everything you're supposed to do. And then this. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was devastating. The very first night that he was at the hospital, his dad was with him and I was home with Deanna and I was not this, you know, this, this hysterical wreck, you know, but my daughter, my little 15 month old started wandering around the house and she wandered upstairs and downstairs and she was just wailing. Mm-hmm. She was making a sound I have never ever heard a human being make. It was alarming to me. Mm-hmm. And I would go to her and try to comfort her and she'd push me away and throw herself on the floor. She was just utterly distraught. Mm-hmm. She was 15 months old. That's and so I believe that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, you know, this is why I do the work I do. Do not tell me these little tiny ones don't don't get this. They do. They feel it, you know, and she wasn't just feeling, she wasn't like she was feeling it because I was distraught. Of course, she knew what our family had been through. And now her brother was gone. She'd go to his bed and she'd, you know, go to the garage door and she was just looking for him and her dad. Mm -hmm. And so I knew from the very, I knew then, okay, We lived in a cul-de-sac. We had plenty of people who would have loved to have taken care of her while we had him in the hospital. But we said, nope, it's going to be the four of us in this. There's no way that three of us are going to be together at the hospital. And she's going to be here not knowing what's going Mm -hmm. on with her family. Mm -hmm. So we took her to the hospital with us. And it was the best decision we we made. He was in a children's hospital. It was 20 years ago. So she was able to be up there, you know, as long as he wasn't immunocompromised. And she got to spend time with him in his Mm -hmm. room. And they did so much for the siblings. The child life people were so good. And so they got to build their relationship together for two 
two and a half years Mm -hmm. in the hospital, Mm -hmm. which I would never have robbed either one of them of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, she wouldn't have had she wouldn't have had a relationship with her brother if we hadn't done that. Right. And, you know, there were so many families that didn't do that because they didn't want to expose their well children to the hospital, to the kids who might be having a hard time in a room or, you mm-hmm. know, had bald heads and, and, you know, things coming out of them and, and all of this. But we just said, nope, this is our world. It's her world too. Mm-hmm. And so, She was accustomed to that. And we knew, you know, he was very immunocompromised, but she was going through her twos and threes. And it's like, you know, this little girl, I mean, he, he had his life to live. She had her life to live. And so really from the beginning, it kind of was, we need to do the things that we can do as a family. So we did go, you know, places and that when we could and had Mm -hmm. fun and focused on that and Mm -hmm. kept them together. And so by the time he died and he ended up, he had his, when we found his cancer, it was about the size of a grapefruit and it was inside, you know, we didn't, know what was going on with him. It kind of, we kind of figured it out, but the treatment um, shrunk it immediately. And so that was good, but it was also bad because then they weren't sure where it was. They felt they needed to go in and surgically remove the site. So they did the surgery anyway. He did the year of treatment. And then, you know, he, he, we waited a while. He had a clean bill of health, but it was just a couple of months after they took his port out that he started having issues again. And the doctor didn't think his cancer was back, but I think we all knew that it was. And it was, and it was in his bone marrow this time. Mm. And so then he had radiation, six months or six weeks of radiation, and they had to put him totally under because he wasn't going to tolerate that 90 seconds of radiation. He became a Mm. cheetah. And he was not going to let them do it to him. He was a cheetah. (laughs) So they put him totally under for 90 seconds of radiation every day for six weeks. Uh. He had one of the first stem cell transplants that they did at Children's Hospital in Minneapolis. And then he had the high dose chemo that gave him horrible mouth sores and was just horrible. And it went away again. Uh. And we took him home. And it came back again, and oh he gosh. didn't go, he didn't, well, his cancer, we kind of knew that when his cancer came back the first time, we knew that the prognosis was not very good. And so that's why they just hit it with everything they had. But when it came back again, there was nothing more to do. And they, he said he didn't want to go back to the hospital. And we said, you don't have to, honey. So we just kept him home. So he was home with us for the last few months of his life, which was another thing. You know, we were all together at home. And that was a blessing that we could do that. And so... My daughter was exposed to all of this. You know, she knew I've got just 
heartbreaking pictures of her reading to him when he's just totally out of it. You know, she's, she's reading to her brother now, you know, the way he used to read to her. And so when he died, he died at home in our bed and we waited for her to get up. And um, she folded her little arms and looked at him and said, God should have let him grow up before he took him to heaven. And she was mad, you know, So, but she never expected him to come back. She understood that he was gone. You know, she had had that preparation. Mm -hmm. You obviously, Kara and I are, um, (laughs) I know. (laughs) This was 22 years ago. So I tell the story and then I get done with a call like this. And I say, boy, Michelle, you talked about that like it was nothing. Oh, no. Oh, but I mean, you you do. I I do feel that. I mean, yes, it was horrendous, but we live through these things, you know, we live through these things. No. And I think Kara and I, I think I've had that feeling as well. Like we've gotten off a call and I've been like, and I probably like wasn't emotional (laughs) enough about that, but I think that's kind of the beauty in this this, right? Yeah. Like that's the beauty in this, this community and this grief, mm-hmm. this grief thing that we're building and this like normalizing grief, because like you get to be all of those. Like, it's mm-hmm. like you said, that's your grief you journey. Yes. Like, so you get to tell the story, however you damn well please that day. Yeah. And, it, and yeah, it's on your it's terms a, too. You know, yeah. we've mm-hmm. talked about that mm-hmm. too, Rashida. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and the, this, but I want to share yeah. with you an answer to your question, Kara. This is what I share with my families because the other part of the story was that my husband and I ended up getting divorced within the first year after David died. It wasn't because of our journey with David. We were a totally unified couple before and after around what our family had been through. But we did end up being divorced. So my daughter's dad was gone as well, but he oh, was, he was another, active. Another yes. journey. <laughs> mm-hmm. He was active in her life. So she didn't lose him in the way she lost her brother, but it was a lot for her. And then it was her and me. And this is what I say. I had a big fat lemon and I didn't want it. And, uh, but I had it. And I could either bite into this lemon, which was her life not being what I wanted it to be. And I could either bite into it and it was bitter and sour and I could throw it against the wall and just be mad at it. Or I could say, I'm not going to deal with this lemon. I don't want it. I'm not going to deal with it. And I could put it on the kitchen counter and not look at it and not think about it and let it sit there and rot. Or I could say, I have this lemon. What am I going to do with it? And I could slice it up and I could add some sugar and I could add some water and I could make the best lemonade that I could. Some vodka. So (laughs) I was literally about to say that. I was like, I would just make some lemon juice, baby. And (laughs) you don't have to make lemonade with your lemon. You can do something else. Yeah. (laughs) The idea is we have this lemon and, and with my daughter, you know, for the rest of her life, I would say, I don't want this for her, but this is what we have. Mm -hmm. And so we're just going to go through it. I just refused to allow her life 
to be sold short. And, you know, it was in many ways because I could never bring her brother back. I could never, you know, her dad was not going to be in the house, but she and I could do the best that we could. I could do the best for her. And that was the way I had to choose to see it. And that's the thing I tell my families about living forward is that it Mm -hmm. is a choice and you choose to do it. That's the only way it's going to happen is for you to make that choice. You don't have to make that choice right away. You can Mm -hmm. feel angry. You can feel like you just don't even want to look forward. I think the hardest thing about a loss is that we keep wanting to look back because Mm -hmm. we so desperately want to have what we've lost. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. But you have to at some point see your way forward and look ahead of you and look off to the horizon and say, what do I want to find out there? And then you live forward toward it and you just totally. make choices every day. And when you, when I had a three and a half year old, you know, it was no choice for me. I mean, I don't think I, I wouldn't have chosen differently because of the mm-hmm. way I am, but especially because of her, you know, it was like, no, no, you don't, you don't take her, you don't take half of her away and expect me to be okay with that. You know, I'm not going to let that be her life. So it was a choice. Right. One of my favorite early grief quotes, I guess, that I found was, and I'm going to butcher it, and I swear, listeners, I will find it and add it to our Instagram once I get it right. But it's something to the tune of like, you have you have no right to determine the, the cards you've been dealt in life, but you do have a right to play the hell out of the hand you've been dealt. So right, like, exactly. It's that choice. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I don't have, like, we have no control. Mm-hmm. over the over the cards right mm-hmm. like and so but it is in in living forward like you said like that's it yeah. is your right and your responsibility essentially to to play the hell out of the hand you have yes exactly and decide what you're going to do with your lemon you know mm-hmm. yeah 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 and the other quote that i found that really also i think is an important way to look at, at grief is is the quote by the author ann royfe who wrote a book after her husband died and she said there are two parts to grief the first part is loss and the second part is the remaking of life. And what I help families with is the remaking of life. But the first thing we encounter is that loss. And we just really need to sit with it for a while. And we need to feel it and allow it and have it. But it's only the first part of grief. And then we remake our lives and we get to choose how to do that. So yeah. And I think that's why I'm like a little bit obsessed with this live forward Mm because I've I've honestly and truly never heard of that Mm -hmm. saying before in terms of grief. And I'm like really obsessed with it because I I feel like it almost gives the the griever permission. Like Mm -hmm. it isn't it isn't move on. Uh, It's kind of like it's kind of like what you said, Kara, like when you're posting all of these quotes and stuff and people are probably like, why is she posting that crap again? No one, no one is for the record, mm-hmm. uh, but <laughs> that we know of, yeah. but no, but yes. uh, you know, well, I have the same, same feeling. Yes. It's our focus. Yes. And, and so like don't you, get that. you feel like people are saying like, move on, but you're like, I can't, not only can I not move on, like, I don't want to, like, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I, 
I, in some ways, like I, I just, yes, I've accepted that my mom is gone, but like, I will grieve and regrieve her for the rest of my life. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I like this live forward because that's what I did. And I exactly. um, have said before though, that like, I, my kids are the greatest loves I have ever known. Like I, they, they tell you, like, you don't get it till you get it. Like you don't mm-hmm. get it to your mom. Right. Like everybody's right. like, well, I love blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I, I, there is something so for lack of like, this is a weird way to describe it, but there is something so primal about motherhood, like something mm-hmm. so like I would literally die for you. And so there's I, a reason why we, we know what a mama bear is. Yes. 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 And so I, Mm -hmm. I have said that like, I would go through all of the loss again. Like I would lose my mom. Sorry, mom, 10 times over if it meant I got my kids, right? Like if that's, if that's the end goal, if that's, those are the cards I'm dealt as that I get these kids, then I would do it all over again. Right. And that's, that's kind of my way. That is, that is me living forward. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the focus is on the live, you know, because there are so many different ways you can talk about it. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and the idea is that we choose to live, not just to move, but to live. Yeah, mm-hmm. we do choose to live. Mm-hmm. In the in the beginning, when my mom, right after my mom passed away, you know, I remember thinking and saying aloud, probably like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And yeah. frankly, the same when I had my miscarriage too, like, I don't want to do this. I don't actually, and with the diagnosis of my son with this hemophilia, I still mm-hmm. say it, my husband and I both mm-hmm. say, I don't want to do this. I just don't want to deal with it. I don't mm-hmm. want this to be my life. I don't want this to be his life, our life, my daughter's life. I don't. Mm-hmm. But then soon after it starts to turn into like for me anyway, okay, well, you know what? my mom has died. So I'm still living. What would she want me to do? And she would want me to keep living and to be happy, to be there for my daughter, to be a great wife, to be there for my mm-hmm. husband, to be a friend, to be, mm-hmm. to, to live my life to the best of my ability and not, not sit around and sulk and be pissed off and sad, but to live my life to the best of my ability that soon turned into, okay, you know, like that helped me get me over the hump by thinking mm-hmm. of like living for her um, mm-hmm. and making her happy. That soon got me over the hump and like, okay, no, I'm making myself happy. This is my life. Right. This is my right. story. This is what I'm doing. So, mm-hmm. yes. I'm glad you said that because it can be a burden in a way to think we're living for them. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a motivator for sure. But the bottom line is you've got your life, you know, Mm -hmm. your kids do, your family does, you do. And, you know, one of the things that I hear so much from moms who have lost a child is just feeling like they can never be and they won't ever be the mom they were before. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you can't be as carefree about the children you're still raising mm-hmm. as you were, you know, before you had a child die. You don't have interest in the same things. I just totally got, I was over with small talk, you know, after I lost my son. It's like, it's suddenly my priorities and the things that I spent my time on were different. And we lament that when we lose that part of ourselves. But what I really want everyone who's experienced a loss to recognize is that 
you still are that person. You still have all the strengths and all the giftings and all the abilities that you have. They may, you know, manifest a little differently in you and your interests are different, but you've still got so much to do with your life. And that's that looking forward instead of backward idea Mm -hmm. and then living forward with what you have and finding just not only, you know, a life to live, but really, really good things and bright possibilities in front of you. Yeah. So, yep. Yep. I think that was like the hardest mm-hmm. thing in this was coming yes. to that realization that mm-hmm. there is joy in the journey. And Michelle, I like that little sign behind you. I keep reading it. that oh. There is joy in the presence oh. of angels. I, yes. I just love that. Yes. Well, Michelle, this has felt very healing to me, even though Kira good. and I both cried yes. and tears, <laughs> tears are good. Tears yes. are healing. Yes. So, yes. yes. I cannot thank you enough for coming on this little podcast of ours. And I, I hope you saw Kara and I feverishly writing down things because you said oh. so many wonderful things I want to make sure we quote. And, oh, my God. Good. I'm I really enjoyed talking with both of you. It was just really very, a very pleasant use of time here this evening. So thank you for that. I I really appreciate what you're doing and just your awareness of of not just your own grief, but the griefs around you and the way that we all experience grief. And I think that's so important. And I love that you are, you know, you just really have such a good heart for all of that and such good insights on all of that for your listeners. So thank you for letting me be here. Oh, no, thank you. This was so wonderful. Thank you Mm -hmm. so much. And thank you so much for everything you're doing. Like Rashida said, for the families. It's just a special place and in for heaven. Sh- yeah, girl. for sharing your resilience with us because yes. that's that's two grief journeys you walked. You like you ha- you were a mom who lost her son and a mom who watched her daughter grieve. Like that yes. is that's a and lot. The third with the, the divorce too. Yeah. Yes, that's a Jeez. lot of grief. Mm-hmm. Too much. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing your story mm-hmm. and well, passion with us. Yes. yes. Listeners, we will link to absolutely every way you can get in contact with Michelle in our show notes. But Michelle, how would you like for people to contact you? Do you want to shout out your Instagram or anything? Yes. I Well, I've been quiet on Instagram, but it is my preferred way to be out there. But I have a link tree link, which is the thing now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just link tree slash good grief parenting. And my Instagram awesome. is good grief parenting. And my website is goodgriefparenting.com. So you can find me at all of those places. And at my link tree link, you can even make an appointment to talk with me as well as, you know, various other things. I have a good grief guide resource that you can download. So that's the place to go. Just remember goodgriefparenting.com. Easy peasy. Yep. Mm-hmm. So easy. Yes. Yep. And we will link in the show notes for real Thank this time. Because sometimes Kara and I are always like, we'll link that in the show notes and we forget. So <laughs> this will really be linked in the show okay. notes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good to know. Yeah. We're good. We got yeah. it. Yeah, we got We got you. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much for listening to the Groovy Mamas Club podcast. When times get tough. Just remember, you're a badass bee and you got this, mama.